Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 48 with our guest, Scott Royal Smith. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Well, hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the studio. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today is Scott Royal Smith, who's the founder and CEO of Royal Legal Solutions, and he prides himself in successfully conveying the essentials in asset protection to audiences nationwide. How cool is that? He's no stranger to high-stakes litigation and has spent his career deconstructing asset protection structures and developing strategies that serve both to protect what you own as well as leverage your income and maximize your tax savings. Who wouldn't want all of that? With experience in entrepreneurship, starting several successful companies and owning real estate in 10 states. Did I just say 10 states? Scott pulls from his expertise as a lawyer to put a new and valuable perspective on business ownership. There is gonna be so much good to this dialogue and to join me in the discussion right there. It is Scott Royal Smith. What's going on, Scott? Hey, Josh, great to be here today. I'm excited to uh, share with you guys, um, you know, being an open book for you from how we've taken Royal Legal Solutions and help people all across the country with asset protection, especially real estate investors. And um, how did we, you know, do this as a nationwide uh, company, one of the very first to ever do it in the history of legal um, and tax and business and, and real estate investing. You're one of the first to do what exactly? Well, uh, you know, before uh, law firms or people that were giving this type of uh, real estate investment advice, legal advice, tax advice, they've all been brick and mortar, you know, style stores, right? So well, the one thing that we've done that's really different than everybody else is we found ways that we can help clients all across the country, no matter where they live with every asset class and do it in a way where we never actually have to meet each other face to face. We handle all the signatures through electronic signatures. We do all of our meetings through video meetings. Um, and we're able to give people a, you know, a five times better, you know, type consultation and work product um, at a half the price. That's amazing. And I know that um, you, you have so much legal knowledge. And while we could talk about that and how to protect entrepreneurs, and we'll get into some of that, 
tell me first, how, when did Royal Legal Solutions come on the scene? Uh, it was about five years ago uh, when I started Royal Legal, and it was just me, me working uh, in, a, in a small little confined space by myself from trying to do podcasting, uh, trying to like write blogs for bigger pockets and meeting at local meetup groups and just trying to scrounge for clients any way I could. Um, it was a really cool experience, though, because I had just come out of doing... Uh, high stakes litigation work. We're suing major insurance companies. This is my first venture on my own um, as a lawyer. I mean, I had bought my you know first piece of rental uh, real estate actually while I was in law school, and I ran a, a, a transmission auto repair shop while I was in law school, um, and and rebuilt the structure and sold that for without any debt. But this is my first venture on, totally on my own. I did that with a partner, um, and so uh, we you know. And launched it slowly over time, got to really understand what do the customers need and how do these customer needs actually apply across the country and we're able to you know, develop a system to say this is the system that we can use that's going to apply for 95% of real estate investors wherever they're at. Um, and um, by doing so, now we had like a product that was a service industry, but we productized it and then said this is it. And um, then that's the story. Then we've been building you know, incredibly fast, um, averaging uh, multiple uh, hundreds of percent growth each year. Where for you, where is the overlap between your law career and real estate? Well, as lawyers, they say that if you go to law school, you're already in the top 10% of business people, just because you can think or you can organize your thoughts, right? Um, you're just typically an organized person and you can read carefully and follow directions, right? That's all it really takes to be one of the best business people in the country. Can you right? repeat that? I, I, I love that. I want to hear that again. What does it take? <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is be able to organize your thoughts, right? Uh, you have to follow directions. Um, and and that, if you can just do that, you know, you're going to already be one of the best business people in the country because like, think about it. If all you had to do, all you have to do to be like probably one in the top 1% of business people is just read all of the books and the subject matter that are publicly available, understand them in an organized fashion, and then execute of how the people that uh, already are doing it say to do it. Like you don't have to invent new ideas to be one of the best. You just have to execute whatever best practices are. Such a great, great thing to hear. What exactly does it mean to organize your thoughts? Can we break that down maybe with an example for a minute? Um, well, it's really tough to know. I don't have like an example off the top of my head, but I'll tell you when you can know it when you don't have it. It's like when you enter into a conversation with somebody and you're trying to talk through an idea with them, right? That might be complicated, right? Um, like you could, you'll find this a lot too with people that would say like a topic that they feel passionately about, but they don't have a lot of knowledge about like evolution, right? Or like cosmology and big bang theory or anything that's just slightly outside of the grasp. Um, we find a lot too with real estate investors, right? You get into the conversation with somebody and what happens is, is they like they're, they're ping ponging all of their thoughts with like these opinions about certain things, right? You can tell that there's no cohesive argument that they have that ties together the thoughts to be able to make it really persuasive from their point of view. So the, to be able to have a persuasive argument requires you to have organization to it because that's what's persuasive for people. I can take you from point A and then show you how you point A leads to point B, point B leads to point C, point C leads to point D, et cetera. Um, and that's what law school you know, drills into you as a fundamental way of thinking. Uh, I think that as entrepreneurs, it's exceptionally important because you need to be able to know um, 
not just like one little cool marketing gimmick doesn't get you where you need to go. You actually need to understand like what's the landscape of the field that you're playing in. And then to reason off of, you know, what does this landscape look like to know what it is you need to do. And then that by that process, you get to know like what are the strategies that work well and not well versus what things are just gimmicky or, you know, effective. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's the way I think of it. It certainly is helpful. And I love that we went down this path now doubling back because I said, where is the overlap between you as an attorney and real estate? And you began saying that to be in the top business percentage, you need those few things. So pick up from there if you could. Yeah. So, you know, being an attorney is really just like a skill set, kind of like being a mechanic, right? You really shouldn't think a professional is much more than just brain mechanics that they learned, you know, how to think about something uh, like you trying to change your oil. If you've never done it before, you're like, I have no idea. That's why I go to pay somebody else to change my oil. Even though I ran a transmission shop and I was like, I kind of could, I know I can do this cause I've done it before, but I still don't want to cause I have a new car and figuring out how to do it on a new car is too much of a pain. So I'm just like, whatever, forget it. Um, but like you, like that's what going to school should teach you. Schools that only teach you facts are probably a waste of time. The schools that can teach you like ways of thinking are good use of time because ways of thinking are very difficult and they require somebody like a professor who can guide you on the way of thinking better, right? So um, for example, uh, one of the people, so a lot of times education is really savvy into like the Socratic method because the Socratic method requires you to think in a very logical way to be able to argue that way, right? But schools that like how we have most of our public schools, like why would they be so bad? Or even colleges right now too, right? Why are they so bad or why are they so useless is because what they do is try to drill a bunch of facts into your head that you memorize, but nobody's actually learned how to think through what's right or wrong. And so this is systemic and it's obvious inside of American culture where you can have divides inside of politics that are um, fact, there are two people that have two, like there's facts and then there's alternative facts and then everybody yells at each other about it. But nobody actually talks about like, what's the way we should think through this problem that's going on right now? That discussion's not even in the picture anymore, right? So what that tells you is that as a society, we've actually become dumbed down to be able to only be able to think in fact-based. So if you're an entrepreneur right now, this is a great time because that what it tells you is that pretty much everybody's stupid. And like all you have to be able to do is be able to think through the ideas better than other people. You'll get greater insights into the market and what's going on and you'll have better ideas because everybody's been dumbed down uh, to not be as competitive. So maybe stupid's not the right word. It's just not a useful way of thinking about problems. And that's where business and me, law, that's where they meet. It's because law teaches how to grab insights and organize your thoughts to be able to have powerful insights and arguments for a way of thinking. Um, and once you apply that to business structures, you find that you can get um, incredibly advanced insights into just about any part of the field, whether it's marketing, sales, advertising, whatever it is, because you actually have a stronger engine to chug through the ideas to lead you to better outcomes. You, we are recording this with video. So um, if you're only listening, I'm staring behind you at a uh, great big image, which I know is a logo of yours, but it's of the brain. What is the fascination for you of the brain? Well, <clears throat> it's actually the logo of my podcast, the Real Estate Nerds podcast. Um, which is a cool show where we go through, you know, what are the best ideas of investors and what they did or didn't do that led them to their best and worst deals. And the reason why this is a fascinating point for me is because um, I think the brain is pretty much all there is, right? Like when we talk about like whether we like other people, 
you're probably not talking about whether you like their nose or their ears or like their hair, whatever. What you're really saying is that I like their brain. I like their thoughts. I like the way that they're compassionate. All of these things that we like about other people and that we like the way that they all come from their brain. And what you're really saying is that my brain happens to like that brain. Wow. Right. And it's the way what the world is. The world only exists inside of our brain as we know it. Right. So the really that's that's all there really is to it. So the more that we can understand about this structure and the more that we can um, learn to use it for our advantage and learn what makes it powerful and drive it correctly, um, then I think the better off we are. Wow, I like that a lot. I want to go back to see how we arrived here today uh, with you. Um, I, I, want, I want to go back to Scott Royal Smith as a young child. And uh, if you don't mind, paint that picture for us. And before you do, though, tell me about what's the, uh, what's the significance of the middle name Royal? Oh, I think my, that's just my mom with an epidural you know, being able to come up with, with inventive names to tell you the truth. Um, you know, she's crazy as hell, you know, like my brother, brother, his name is David Jade Smith, you know? So oh, Jade. Okay. Jade. Yeah. And I was Royal for a long time because people, once they found that out, like in high school, I was done. Uh, I was Royal from then on out. Is it, is it perhaps also her trying to um, make up for the generic nature of Smith? It could be right. Um, you know, mom, mom's crazy. So I love her, but she's crazy, but you know, she's your mom. So you love her anyway, but there you go. Uh, you know, get it, get it spicy in there. She, she knew it was probably going to be powerful for marketing purposes later on. You know, she knew I was going to be doing real estate nerds and doing podcasts. Right. Like, she already, she already yeah. reserved the, uh, .com for you before <laughs> it was even a thing before the internet. Absolutely. Yes. Right. She filed for it. She's like, I need the .com for this name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think so. Right. And it was always the running joke in my family about it. Um, cause I was always kind of like not too good to do anything, but you couldn't make me do anything that I ever didn't want to do as a kid growing up. Like if I didn't want to do it, I just wasn't going to do it. Um, you could beat me, you could bribe me, you could do whatever. It didn't matter. I like if I didn't, it, it was it. So, um, that's like the makings I think of, um, people that are pretty dysfunctional in society to tell you the truth because society to work in society you actually need to be pretty compliant with everybody mm. right mm. you have to be compliant because you have to be able to like sacrifice a lot of like your own you know personality to be able to fit inside of a box that somebody else has created for you and that's what like a societal construct is right or a corporate construct of like who makes a good employee or whatever that is right um so um so that's always been like a constant struggle for me throughout my life. But at the same time, what it's also done is it's forced me to get a lot better than other people at anything I do, right? Because I don't really want to play the game the same way they do. So the only way to really win is to be like significantly better. And then people can't ignore you if you're just a lot better um, than, than they are at a particular skill. So, um, so, you know, that's kind of like one of those lessons that I think I've learned time and time again throughout my life that like every great weakness also has like a strong, a strength to it. And if you can figure out where the strength is and then leverage that, um, that's how you can be yourself and also be wildly successful. 
I have a five-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son right now. And what you just described is my five-year-old daughter. Uh, she is stubborn. She's strong-headed. We can't get her to, to do anything she does not want to do. Uh, it, it tests and challenges everything that I thought I've ever known or could have known about being a father. And um, I'm learning to accept it, to understand it, to, to find the good within it. Uh, is that, was that sort of you? Is that, is, is that what you're saying? And it's a good, it's a good thing. She'll be okay. Yeah, I, I think so. Right. Like, um, I, I think it's, a. <laughs> so here, so I was just chugging through the idea real quick. And so I'll unpack that verbally. So that way everybody on the podcast doesn't fall asleep while I'm thinking through this. So the way I look at it, I say, is there's actually like a weird part to this about saying like, what is okay? And I think a lot of times as parents, we have a definition of okay. That's our definition for us about okay. And is not taking into account, like, what does that other developing human being need? right? And what's good for them. So we'll take our own value system and then thrust it onto somebody else, which we would never say is okay in any other part of society, except for the fact that we're parents. So that's kind of psychotic in a lot of ways, right? So what we probably should think of is like, what are the first principles around parenting? And say like, what are, and what is the first principles around what it takes to really be like a, a human being that's thriving for the being the best human being that they can be and whatever that means for them, right? So we know from social psychologists that really what makes the only difference in parenting is like, do you love your kid or not? Do they feel loved? Everything else, meh, kind of matters, doesn't really much matter after that. So cool. So really then parents jobs become really easy. Love your kids. They're going to do a bunch of stupid shit. You're probably not going to like it and you guys can fight about it, but that's really your egos that are going back and forth around that, right? If you just oh, I'm applauding you. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, and, and so like, that's, that's pretty cool. And then as kid, then like, what does it look to be like a great kid? Well, that actually means having to be there from somebody that you might one, not really understand all that well, because they're a different person. Like they're not empty. They have their own brain. They have their own presets. You don't control any of that. And two, you might not like the person that they really are. Right. That's also possible. Right. But that doesn't have anything to do with being a good parent. Being a good parent is about, can you support that person being the best version of themselves? And whatever that means, right? And so if we believe that people are innately endowed with ethical behavior, innately endowed with, um, you know, empathy and those types of characteristics, we would show somebody how to harness that inside of themselves as children, just like we do with adults, right? And I think that's what everybody's seeking right now. When you see like the huge wave of personal, develop, personal development, personal growth, is you find a bunch of adults that were never encouraged about how to explore inside of themselves, but how to connect with other people and how to have empathy for themselves and to love themselves with that. So maybe those are really the fundamental tenets we should try to be teaching kids instead of trying to beat them up on whether they play or whatever, whatever else the external things are. It's just like, let's just focus on the really basic stuff and they're gonna figure out life on their own terms for whatever that means to them if we allow them the opportunity to explore. Um, but they definitely need help um, on the, at least those fundamental things. Otherwise, they end up being, you know, uh, somebody has an adult body, but are still broken on the inside, just like a child. Hmm. You gave us a little bit of insight into your, <clears throat> excuse me, into your mother. What, what was the parenting style like growing up? Oh, well, I mean, I think my mom, you know, did an amazing job, right? Uh, raising me. Uh, she one, she couldn't really control me. So then I didn't have to worry about that too much. Um, and then she was, you know, always, you know, super loving and supportive of me, you know? So um, I was a wild kid, you know, uh, from the time I was like three or six, 
like the three, I was leaving the house like on my own to go to the neighbor's houses. By six, I was taking my bike and I was riding it around like the whole neighborhood without telling them where to go. And so like or where I was, right? So then she would at, she would like plead with me when I would come home to be like, hey, you have to tell me where you're going because then I'm like walking around the whole neighborhood knocking on doors to be able to find out where you're at because it's like before cell phones, beepers or anything, right? Sure. And so, and then I would tell her, I would say stuff to her that's kind of crazy. I'd be like, uh, well, mom, I don't, it's not really important to me that you know where I am. I know where I am and I know I'm fine. So wow. Like, don't worry about it. And so like, you know, <laughs> and you that was like that. A, that was wow. six, right? Six or seven. Now, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't really need you guys anymore. I just really need you to do the things for me that I can't do on my own because I'm not big enough. Right. Like I can't cook yet. If you could make sure there's food. Um, otherwise just kind of leave me alone. I can figure it out. Where in the world did that come from? And did you acknowledge that you know, that's, that's out of the ordinary. No, I didn't acknowledge it was out of the ordinary at all. Like if you're living inside of your, your own body, you think that you're normal and like you don't, and then you're kind of like butting up against the rest of the world being like, how come this stuff doesn't work? Right. Like I didn't understand relationships and like friendships very well early at an early age. Like it took me a while to like learn how to do that. And like, what did that actually mean? You know, at like the deep level that other people could do that. Um, so like, there's some like drawbacks into that, but, um, but, uh, but you do what the one thing I would say, like actually encouraged it for me and this doesn't work for everybody. Right. But a schooling system that worked really well for me was Montessori school, which is very much like a self-directed learning and it doesn't work well for everybody. Right. But for kids like me, it works super well because, um, and actually I didn't even actually work that well inside of their framework because what I would do is I would never want to do any of the actual work, right? The way Montessori school works is that you have all the materials that are on shelves that are around the classroom. And then as a kid, you get like a rug that's your space and you pull the materials out and then you explore like subject matter with materials and like teachers give lessons that everybody will watch so that you can see the used materials because kids learn by repetition over and over again. And the materials are designed to help you learn by just using them. And that's the artwork behind great materials, right? So... But the deal was I never wanted to do the work. I wanted to go around and talk to everybody and watch them do the work and then ask them questions about it. So then um, they really thought that I wasn't learning anything by being inside a Montessori school. So um, by the time I was like in third grade, they pulled me out and threw me in public school, only come to find out that I like immediately skipped a grade like being pulled into public school without ever being in public school. I didn't even know what grades were at that point. Right. And so then I was like, Oh, well, what's your learning style? Your learning style is to be inquisitive and watch other people work, but you don't really enjoy working on your own. You enjoy working with others and talking to them about like what they do. And that's been something that I've carried with me, you know, uh, for a while, you know, from that it's like that insight, but what I needed was to even have that insight. Right. I needed a system that allowed me to explore that like to create the freedom to be able to see like what I was even like. Cause if I was in public school from an early age, I would have never even had that opportunity. So I would have never had that insight about myself. Right. Um, and I think that's, what's really important, especially early on is the ability to set up environments that allow people to explore like who they are and like who they are and how they operate and then build like a, a system for life that works around that not trying to like change who you are to fit into a different box. And your parents supported that? They, they gave you that support system? Well, they had me in Montessori school, but really, I mean, yeah, they, I guess they supported me in a lot of ways, right? Because like they still just let me do kind of whatever I was going to do and only yelled at me, you know, minorly, you know, about things. But 
but I was, I was pretty hard headed. Like you couldn't really shake me off anything. So I kind of won that fight by the time I was like five. And I was like, you can't push me to do anything I don't want to do. This is sort of the debate me and my wife um, consistently have where she looks at my strong five-year-old daughter who now I've, um, I've relinquished any of that uh, quote-unquote control. I'm like, well, I can't control her um, and I have to stop trying to. And furthermore, just like you said, uh, it's going to do more harm than good. And I intuitively, thankfully, am doing what you suggested is the best path just just love them for who and what they are and all other things should and will fall into place. And I'm seeing that I let her, I let her do a lot of things that perhaps my wife cringes at, you know, always protecting her safety and well being. but you know, just others might say, no, she can't do that. You can't let it. And I'm like, well, why? You know, and then I'm, I'm always there to love her. Uh, but we always have that debate of she has to do this. She has to do that. I need her to become this type of person. So she doesn't make the same mistakes I made. Yeah. Well, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. I, I, yeah. Right. I mean, like the, it's like, we're always, you know, poisoned by like the flaws that our parents gave us. Like everybody has like some childhood trauma. And if you don't, you just haven't thought about it hard enough yet. Right. Like right. everybody has one. Right. And so then we pass that on to our kids most of the time, I think, you know, it's from what I see time and time again. Um, and so trying to get out of that loop is probably pretty hard. Um, there's probably like some ways too. like, I've seen in parents do this, like, Oh, you just love your kid. And like, that's enough. It gets kind of crazy, right? Like, Oh, I just, I'll just love them while they're slamming a box of Twinkies to their face. And I was like, okay, no, that's probably not it. Right. It's like among the choices that there are about like what it ha means to have a good life. There's like a thousand ways to do that. Right. And then there's also a thousand ways to have a bad life. Right. Like, you know, poisoning yourself with a dozen tweakies or doing whatever. Right. And so then I think the options are saying like, okay, we're actually pretty okay with these thousand ways that they can have a great life. And I'm going to love and support them while they're on that path to that thousand ways to do that. And they're going to be able to select among the choices that are all great choices. Right. Instead of being like, well, just whatever they do is great. Cause that, that, like, that also like seems intuitively crazy too. Right. Like you see, like, parents that are like having kids that punch each other and like they're doing all this violent activity and they're like, I just love them for who they are. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but you're actually raising somebody that's not going to have a good life. You know, they're like, you're, you're loving them into skills and supporting skills and behaviors that aren't going to lead to a quality life for them. Right. The trap that people fall into the other side that are type A and successful people is that they are egotistical enough to think that they know the best life and narrowly define it as such to be only these types of activities. You have to be a doctor or you have to be a lawyer. Otherwise, you're a failure, right? You'll hear that type of thinking in society too. Well, that's obviously equally as insane, right? To be able to think what it means to be able to have a good life, right? And we haven't, people just don't think through the ideas well enough. And this is where I think it's really important that we all take a hard look and that we challenge each other, not on like, this is good parenting versus bad parenting, but just fundamental questions on like, what does it mean to you to have a good life? And you ask your friends that, you know, like what are the values that you support in having a good life? How do you support other people in having those values? Hmm. Were you, um, I don't know, pushed, maybe directed, guided into the career path of a lawyer? Uh, not really. I mean, the reason I became a lawyer is because I was afraid about not being respected. I mean, that was like, tell me actually, more, go. I like well, that. You have like, uh, so this is like one of those like pain points from a kid, right? Like it, I was the youngest of four. So then you're never, if you're the youngest child, you're almost never respected, taken seriously. Like everybody else's ideas are better than yours. They always, I'm the youngest too. 
like whatever. Right. So, um, so like that was always a thing for me. Right. And so I thought like, well, like becoming an attorney, then I will now have like a piece of paper that legitimately certifies me as smart and you have to take me seriously. And which is totally not true by the way. Right. So, cause there is no other piece that you can give to get people to like respect you. If your if your goal is to make other people do something to you or treat you a certain way or whatever, you're never going to achieve what you want. Um, because you can't control other people. And that's like something I didn't understand until I got to the other side uh, of this thing. Um, so yeah, so that's why I ended up going to law school was guided off of that and finding out all that's BS. And then you um, eventually started your own business. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you start your own business, but it's like, you know, you want, so I started my first business when I was doing tutoring after I got out of undergrad and I was doing jujitsu kickboxing and then private tutoring in the evenings. So hmm. I was doing like martial arts full time and competing in that and then doing tutoring. And I thought, man, I've like done it. Everybody said I couldn't start my own business and I have my own small business now. And I only have to work like 10 hours a week and I make way more money than I need to. And so like I've hit it, you know, like I found the gem um, of like what it was. And um but that still didn't get me the respect I thought. I thought that was it, right? I kept thinking that like once I hit a certain place of like I have time freedom and I have geographical freedom, now I'll finally hit it and then I'll feel good about my accomplishments, right? It's like at that point. And I kept hitting that more and more and more throughout my life um, and, and still not being happy. And I was like, this is bullshit because Tim Ferriss and all the other gurus told me that this was the value system that I had to be seeking. And I had accomplished all the value system and I still wasn't happy. So I was like, you guys are freaking liars. And then I had to go through like this whole other voice about saying like, okay, shit, like life isn't like what makes you happy and content and all of these other pieces um, have nothing to do with that, right? And then it was a different, it was a different journey for me at that point, like a much more like deeply internal journey of self-reflection and, you know, all the basic stuff people talk about, right? When they talk about spiritual journeys, right? Like you learn to be like much more like aware of yourself, like aware of like your, you know, the software that's running in your head, like how are you using gratitude to your advantage to be able to build all of these internal pieces to have a better life. Um, I see what those guys are doing, like saying like you need time freedom and geographic freedom that's cool because now you have more resources that you can use to for your own internal development. And so like, I think these things like work hand in hand. Um, but if you think you're going to feel good just because you make more, make more money with less time and can move anywhere else in the world and travel, you're just chasing a different kind of drug. Hmm. So you, I mean, you hear about that all the time that none of that will buy the happiness and you experience that firsthand and you still had the void. Oh yeah. Yeah. You still have the void. Because the void only goes away once you start doing things that are nourishing to like your soul, you know, like we don't, I don't think we have a good word for it. Right. Because like it, everything has been co-opted by the woo-woo of the world, you know? So, um, you know, there's, you know, that, that, that presents some problems with even being able to dialogue about this stuff seriously. Um, but, but innately you, if you think of life, like in terms of like a wheel where there's probably 11 or 12 major areas of your life, um, that you develop between like your family, your business, your relation, your romantic relationships, your friendships, um, your athletic activities that you might enjoy all of those pieces. Right. Um, 
one of those is financial. So like one out of the 12 is financial. And so I, what I find is like a lot of people will spend most of their life thinking about one area, like one twelfth of actually what makes them a strong person, a complete person. Um, and uh, then they focus on that and maximize that area, especially in the entrepreneurial world. When in reality, what that's actually done is very make them a very weak person because anything that happens to your money at that point, now your whole life has fallen apart. And why do you have to become a workaholic? Because that's the only thing you have that keeps you going, right? So you have to become a workaholic because if that falls apart, everything goes away, right? And when you find the contrast between really strong entrepreneurs, like the ones I interview on Real Estate Nerds, the guys that have lost $50 million and then come back to rebuild it within just only a couple of years, those people had really strong lives. Money was part of their life, but they had all these other areas that they actively worked on, just like they did the money building to build out a really strong internal you know, framework for themselves and all of this other crap, right? So what happens is, is that the money falls away. Those guys go bankrupt, lose $50 million, but does that doesn't phase them because the strength they are as a person by investing in all these other areas of their life allows them to rebound very quickly um, into what they need. And so I think in my definition, that's how I refer to being a strong person. And um, I think that's what I didn't have before, but it took like all of this other stuff, right? I had to like go with like a blind mold trial and error of like achieving things and realizing they don't matter. We're talking also about identity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like who are you? Right. You know, it, along that gets tied into that, you know, do you, do you really like love and respect yourself if you don't make a million dollars a year or because that's what you were told was what, what people, successful people would be. You know, like, is that really it? And, and do you like withhold that to say, like, I'm not going to feel successful until X event, right? Only to come to find out that X event happened and you still don't feel that way or that you could have just set the bar to be like X event could have been a tenth of as high. Like, what, it, what did you actually make that barometer to be to like decide that I'm going to delay, you know, X in my life until Y only to find out that you could have defined the Y? You were, before we went on the air, we were talking a little bit about your, your, your amazing growth with Royal Legal Solutions specifically. And you had mentioned things like burnout, pain, and fear. Tie that in for us. Well, so a lot of times I feel like you get burnout is because you're dr like grinding through pain points, right? Um, and you're just grinding through a pain point over and over again without actually solving it. Right. Um, and so you're eventually going to burn out because you can only will yourself to do something for so long, right? You only have that much part of your mental faculty, right? A much better way of approaching long-term growth, which takes a lot longer is to change your baseline to like what feels natural for you. But that comes from like daily habit building. If you practice daily habit building, you're, your predisposition to just do the right kinds of things for success, they just come part of who you are. So then you don't have to use your willpower to grind it out, to push through the pain points to have success. That's why I think grinding it out is a stupid idea. Like we really shouldn't do that, like at all. If we can ever avoid it, do it as little as possible, focus on other things and grow slower, right? So that way you don't have like this burnout. But the problem is, is that we're all af so afraid of not being successful. Um, and the way that we create in our own mind of what success means or what other people told us success means that we tell ourselves we'll just do anything to be able to make it even if it kills us. Um, and then the fear motivates us to make really bad decisions. And it's because, and you know, it's a bad decision because you made it out of a place of fear and not out of a place of like abundance and joy and, you know, opulence, right? This is what people are talking about when they're talking about 
like making decisions out of a place of abundance, right? You know it because it's inside of you and you're like, oh, this is actually something I just, I can just share with everybody else. And then the act of sharing your, of something that you're excited about, this is where you have like the great success that becomes effortless to you. Contrasted with the kind of success, which is like, I have this thing and I'm going to grind it out to be able to get it in front of as many people. That's not a joyous process. So eventually you're going to burn out uh, doing that if you do it for long enough. I want to hear um, how this specifically in story ties into the journey of Royal Legal Solutions. First question is how successful is Royal Legal Solutions today? Give us an idea. Um, yeah. So just this last year alone, you know, we've, we forexed the company. Um, you know, we're still like a smaller company um, and to, to what we do, um, but we went from five to 25 um, staff this year. Um, so we went, we blew right past the normal metrics, right? Of saying that you should normally like cap at eight and then wait and then go up to 25 or it's like, nope, we'll go all the way up to 25. And so that's been, you know, that's like a, that's painful. That's a painful learning curve. If anybody is out there thinking about that to try to learn stuff that fast and pick up, it's not just learning. It's actually having to pick up entirely new skill sets. And as, as you grow your company, you actually need entirely new skill sets at each different level, which is why you find entrepreneurs that usually can only, or business people that can only operate at one level. Like you can't put startup guys to run an enterprise level, you know, fortune 500 company because they're different skill sets of how do you run a company. Right. Um, and as you grow, you have to acquire those. So, um, but, but for me, Royal, Royal legal solutions uh, and the real estate nerds podcast, um, both are pieces that jived with me internally. And that's actually where we had the biggest growth. The biggest growth is when my internal alignment and values started to match up with my company values. And then I can share that with my employees to give them the vision. And here's the values that are important to us in an organic way, not something that's just like created by an HR department and distributed by a culture deck. It's like an, a values that are true for me. So I work on embodying those like every day as best I can. And then just by purely embodying those, I set an example and a tone for the rest of the organization for how it works. And what's really different about that is, um, we have a lot of talks in the company, like every week is about like, what are we doing um, to better our lives as a part of every all hands meeting that we have on every Tuesday. And that'll be something like, are we taking care of ourselves the way we need to be? You know, are, are you taking the breaks that you need to be? Because it's more important to me that you show up to work happy with your best ideas, not that you're working as hard as you possibly can. Right. And so we incorporate these types of values into what we do. And that makes us really excited, connected type of culture where people support each other because we're about who we are as people first and how we live first being good, knowing that we also work, but our work is part of our life. It's not separate from our lives. And and if you take that kind of culture and compare it with some major law firms that suffer from rampant, you know, sexual harassment, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, a lot of stuff that gets swept underneath the rug. People are generally miserable in them. All you have to do is look at the data and statistics about that. You can see the difference. That's the difference between people that are coming to work every day and grinding it out for a paycheck and people that are saying, or have a different approach of saying like, I actually want my I want my values that I want to live by to become part of what I spend most of my life doing, which is actually working with these other people. Would you mind sharing one internal dialogue you've had with yourself around fear? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, this, this happens, um, this happens for me a lot 
with uh, like some of my key staff, right? Um, so you, what do you do as a leader whenever you have key staff that are thinking in a direction that's different than how you want them to think? So you can either um, give them a directive, which says you're gonna do X, right? And why are you gonna do X is because I'm a boss and I pay you. The question becomes, is that gonna be good, but for how long? Well, it's as good as long as they wanna listen to you and as long as they need a paycheck because it kinda of sucks operating like that way. You don't get to use your own creativity. You don't get to do any of your own growth in your work, right? So um, the converse with that would be to allow employees freedom, but by doing so, you also know they're gonna waste time and money and exploring an idea. Right, you think they are anyway, right? Because you're like, oh, actually, you don't really fully understand the scope of the project, but I'm gonna let you waste some time and money so that way then you can discover the solution that I'm on, right? Because I'm in a different place with it and you just haven't, I haven't done a good job of keeping you up to speed with the evolution of the thought process here. So I need to do something that's gonna help you catch up and that's gonna be a waste of time and money. But with that, you have people that are happy and self-directed and can kind of get a better picture of the situation. All of this relates around fear. If I do one choice, I'm afraid they're gonna leave, right? First choice. The second choice, I'm afraid I, projects are gonna take longer and I'm wasting time and money. So how do you get out of that? I don't know. I yeah. haven't answered that question yet. I don't know I how you get it. out of that. I yeah. love it. It's perfect, man. Looking back on your younger self, what advice would you tell that person? Ah, just go have fun. Stop, be easy with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. Just go have fun. Well, it seems like you've, you followed that, right? From what you've shared with me, six years old, you were out having fun. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, like you, you have like certain types of fun, right? But then there's the internal dialogues that happen in there too, right? So the internal dialogues as a kid growing up is that a lot of times the world is confusing. People tell you frameworks for how life works and how people work and how situations work or whatever. And you don't know anything because you don't have any experience. So you just try to learn what other people tell you, but come to find out most people are really stupid that they actually haven't spent very much time really thinking through these issues about how relationships are supposed to work and how families are supposed to work and how businesses are supposed to work and how, you know, how do you actually go out and, and, and accomplish like real things, right? They just, they just tell you stuff and you just absorb it, right? Um, only to come out and find out like one day that, that most of it's garbage and, and wrong, right? You find this most um, aggressively teased out. Um, and, that, and that's what I mean about being like gentle with yourself. Just being like, hey, take your time. Like don't listen to, not like aggressively don't listen to anybody, but like just look at it for what it is recognize that that's that person's opinion and then think about it for yourself or whether that's true or not true. Right. I wish I would have had that a lot more. Um, but, but to get back to the idea of like how bad this is for people or like what a, what an effect is for people a lot of times or, or for kids that, or even just adults, right. Where you're, you're aggressively told one framework for viewing the world um, that doesn't match with observation, um, which is what I'm describing before. Right. Like, that, that's true for a lot of other pieces that we would have for, you know, how people would be describing families or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's observation over my lifetime. And then I reject the old idea. This really happens a lot of times with people that are really, really in religious families and then become non-religious and they get into this moral, ethical and philosophical crisis in their life because they only had one framework for viewing the world that they dogmatically like ingrained in themselves. They made the facts of the universe comply with their frame of reference for so long until it was no longer tenable. And then they said, well, I'm going to shed off this old framework. And now what are they left with? No framework. 
And so now then they have the crisis that comes in and trying to build a new internal framework with what's happening. How does the world work? How do relationships work? What's important to me? All of the fundamental questions with it that that old framework answered for them. Um, and so uh, this is going to be like an ideological type of crisis. And what I would say for people going through that or for kids being raised is to just take it easy on yourself. Like you don't have to know all of those answers. Like right now, you can just like take your time, just look at the world and slowly just come up with like one little small idea after the other, read some books, talk to some people. You don't have to have a framework and all of the stuff to like, you know, to, to allow life to keep living. You just slowly pick it back up and then organically, as long as you're, you know, aware of yourself and how you're thinking and self-aware, eventually you'll come to the right conclusions that are true for you and innately for who you are. You'll find your own truth through that process. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Uh, what, like, it's like somebody decided all of the events, like all the way in the past and then infinitely into the future. And, and somehow I'm a part of that and that they like somehow orchestrated my life to go with that. And I just don't know this much greater, longer plan into like what it is. Or do you mean that like things happen for a reason and I can look at them and say like, I wonder what that tells me about myself that I feel this way about X thing that happened. Cause that could be a reason too. And the reason that X, Y, Z happened could just give me insights, deeper insights into myself. I don't know. There's probably a couple of different ways you could interpret that question. I don't know. <laughs> so I see there's a reason for the brain behind <laughs> you. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's called, it's mental masturbation. I'm very, I'm adept at this, at this style of, of communication from years of training. Completely not useful. It's only good for dinner parties to be able to look really, really smart. It doesn't actually help you live a better life or even, you know, be more entertaining. But, you know, it's a skill set. But you're good at Jeopardy. <laughs> right. I can argue things really well. <laughs> really overthink them. That's you know. the um, Esquire title after your name, right? That's it. That's what you get for that. Um, you, you touched upon this, but I want to hear in context, are you spiritual or religious in any ways? I, I mean, I have a hard time uh, identifying with particular buzzwords like around because they mean different things to every person, right? If I ask 10 different people, like, what does it mean to be religious? Or I ask 10 other people, what does it mean to be spiritual? Everybody has different definitions. So when there's no like uniformity in the definition, I think that the, the, the buzzword actually becomes useless because now you've all you've really done is confuse other people about like who you are when what you really, really we, we should talk about is saying like, let's actually have a longer conversation about a particular idea and see if we think the same way. Like, do my, does my brain line up with your brain? Do I think the same way you think? If you do, Real Estate Nerds is a great show. You can get more access to my brain. If I don't, then don't come, right? But to say like a particular word, um, uh, and to that, I don't know is necessarily useful, but what I will say is this, I've have heard people use the term spiritual to say that what they're really interested is in the development of themselves and like what's going on inside of themselves and to become a stronger person with that. And if it comes down to like, do I believe that it's a good idea for us to become stronger people and to work on ourselves? Then absolutely. Right. Yes, you are. Um, you're good. You're good at what you do. I see. It. I like it. <laughs> Um, well, I'm going to continue with, the, uh, with a couple of uh, final questions here. Josh, what, yeah. what do you believe happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? I mean, I really haven't I mean, thought about it too much, I tell you the truth, because I feel like whatever's going to happen is probably is going to happen. And it seems like there's very little that I can actually do to control any of that. One way or the other. 
Like mm. whether like the religious, uh, a religious appeal is true or whether it's an atheistic appeal is true or whatever framework I apply to this problem doesn't seem to make much difference. If I choose a religion, I'm probably choosing the wrong one just by the sheer ratio of how many religions there are out there, right? If I choose an atheistic approach, then it all doesn't matter. So why am I thinking about the question anyway? Fascinating. I will leave you with this final question. We go to this. Scott Royal Smith, how would you like to be remembered? Um, just somebody that like helped others. I'd like to believe that I can help people inspire getting off the couch, you know, getting off the couch to live a better life. And that can mean, you know, people that are entrepreneurs that are actually out there, but just helping them get off the couch to their couch of complacency, you know, and whatever that means for you or, or for anybody out there. Um, can I share ideas well enough to be able to, to get people to, to push their comfort zone and to feel confident in doing it and then be a guide, you know, to whatever degree I can be for how to do that. And as, as other people guide me as well, you know? Well, you are one fascinating dude. I really appreciate it. It's my kind of dialogue every, every day of the week. I appreciate you. I appreciate you opening up and spending your time and sharing your brain with us today, Scott. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here. And thank you for everybody tuning in. I hope you got an ounce of wisdom that you enjoyed, you appreciated. If you did, take a small step in the right direction. Put it out into the world. Make good things happen. We're going to make good things happen in our upcoming episodes. That is not too far behind. And until we do, thank you for tuning in and go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.